All right, well, good morning, and it's uh, good to be here. Uh, thankful that we can worship God. Um, I'm really grateful for this every single Lord's Day that we can do this, and any other time throughout the week when we get to uh, gather and we can not only study God's Word, but times where we can sing together and pray together, it's, uh, it really is a blessing. Um, I know that there are a few people that aren't here, and um, I hope that they're okay. Uh, I'm not sure if Robin and Paulette are traveling. Or they're sick? Okay. Um, so I, I guess maybe some of that just came from uh, the West Coast. That's why they should never go back there. Um, actually, that's not the case at all. They did, Robin said that he didn't start getting uh, allergy issues till he moved here, I think. So um, they just need to stay, though. They don't need to go anywhere else. They need to get, they're acclimated to Atlanta's weather, and they shouldn't go to the West Coast. Uh, and I'm putting that on, on the recording so that way everyone can know that. And uh, hopefully um, they'll send them a message or something like that. So what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about evangelism, and that's why I had Kelly read from Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 is similar to Matthew chapter 10, and is also similar to Luke chapter 9. We're actually going to read uh, Luke 9 in just a second, but this is the account of Jesus sending out the 12, and sorry, that was going to bug me, if I didn't get that out of my pocket. So uh, it was Jesus sends out the 12. And he has some specific instructions, and he says some, some very specific things. And I want to look at that in just a little bit. And then I also want to look at something that Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians. And, and the reason I want to do this is I want us to consider the, the idea of personal evangelism. And I, I want to kind of call that into question and see where we get that idea and see what Jesus has to say, what Paul has to say that will help us to think about um, evangelism and spreading the gospel the way we we should really the, the focus of the lesson is winning others to christ instead of just thinking about evangelism and we we often talk about evangelism evangelism and spreading the gospel and we think about it pretty clearly as just a work or like an effort that we're involved in which it is that but more than anything i want us to think about winning people to christ and saving souls so there's an idea that most of what we do as Christians is an individual endeavor. Like, this is what I am doing. I am fulfilling an obligation and a responsibility to Christ. And in a way, I get that and I see that in Scripture sometimes. But for the most part, the way that I view evangelism and the way I view winning others to Christ is it's not an individual and personal thing as much as I used to think it was. I know that our left hand shouldn't know what our right hand is doing from Matthew chapter 6. And I know that we shouldn't just be talking about all the wonderful things that we do with each other. Like, I shouldn't just be getting together with, with Barbara and saying, Barbara, I can't wait to tell you this wonderful thing I did the other day. And, you know, Tim, what are you doing? Tell me everything you're doing. Oh, you're the best. And, you know, oh, Kelly, listen, when I'm the best. Now, you know, that's not how we should talk with each other. But that doesn't mean that we should just avoid conversations where we involve each other in the things that we do by either just talking and asking for prayers or by saying, hey, I have this going on. Why don't you come with me? Or I have this going on. Uh, what, will you help me? Or will you just do this? I can't make it to this. Or what do you have going on? I'm looking for something to do Thursday night. You have any, anything that you need help with? Or you have anyone that you're studying with right now? That, that shouldn't be something that we avoid. In fact, I think that's something that we should be involving ourselves with. We, we should be very um, eager to involve each other in what we do, specifically with spreading the gospel and winning people to Christ. I really think that spreading the gospel seems like a team effort to me in a way that I didn't really consider it being. 
And, and I thought about this um, uh, earlier in December. I, maybe these are some things that you all have thought about, and it's, it's nothing wrong but with just being reminded of things that are true. But I, I think that there's some principles, specifically in Luke 9, that will help us. And then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians in just a little bit. Let's start in Luke 9. Let's read Luke's account of what Kelly already read from Mark 6. So Luke 9, beginning of verse 1. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So Jesus sends out the 12, and we're going to look in a second in Luke 10, where Jesus sends out the 70 or 72, depending on um, your translation. What I want to do, I want to just make some observations from Luke 9, and then make some observations from Luke 10, kind of compare these passages a little bit. The first thing I want to point out is from Luke 9, is that they don't go out alone. Like, he sends them out together. He sends them two by two. Now, we don't get that necessarily from here, but we do see that in the other accounts of this where he sent them out two by two. So I don't think there's anything we should think like, oh, they're going out alone and they're supposed to feel this burden of just being alone in this work. Actually, I think that Jesus is setting a principle where they should understand that they are not alone in this work and in this effort. And he does that by sending them out two by two. The purpose is clear that they are proclaiming the kingdom and preparing people or preparing towns for Jesus. So as you look through the Gospels and you see the different places that Jesus goes, and then you think about um, their response or how they kind of seem ready for him at times, I think we should point back to when he sends the disciples out. They were preparing places and people for when Jesus would travel around and start performing miracles and teaching them. And I think that that's exactly uh, what he was wanting their purpose to be. Jesus equips them for the journey and for the work, but he does that by restricting what they take, which is interesting. It's kind of an odd thing. Like, I want to equip you, and I want you to be ready. Don't take any of this stuff with you. But Jesus equipped them. And I, I think he equipped them with only what was necessary. They had, they had the message. They had all that they had on them. And so they had what they needed to go and to prepare the way for Jesus. He says that there are going to be difficulties and hurdles, that there will be people who don't respond to him. But they are to preach repentance. And that's what Mark 6 verse 12 says, that repentance was the message. And he even gives them how they should respond when people don't listen. He says, when people don't listen, you go somewhere else. Now, he says that you shake the dust off your feet as if that's a testimony against that town or that house, right? And so I think the idea is that you have come to proclaim something. You've come to preach something. To, to prepare the way for Jesus, which is interesting. If you think about that's the whole purpose of John the baptizer. He was just there to prepare the way. And what happened when people didn't listen to him? He just kept on going. And I think they have that good example that they can call back to and say, oh, this is exactly what John the Baptist did, right? So I, I think what they're supposed to do is they, they shake the dust off their feet. It's a testimony saying these people don't listen. These people are not willing. These people are not open to this message, to this teaching from Jesus. I don't know if that means that when Jesus comes to the town, he sees this specific dirt on the ground and says, this looks like this was from the apostles' feet. I'm not going there. I don't think it's that. I think it's just like an outward expression 
uh, showing even the house or these people themselves that this is what we are doing before God. You are not willing to listen. I don't think it was something special with like there was going to be some sort of breadcrumb thing where it's like, you know, oh, let me see if I could find the towns that are open to this or not. Oh, no, they're not. I think it was just like a thing to confirm even to the people themselves that we do not like you have not accepted us. So we shake the dust of our feet. Now let's go over to Luke 10, Luke chapter 10, and let's read verses 1 through 11. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So despite some of the, I guess, uh, difficulty in understanding if this was 70 disciples or if it was 72, is it an addition to the 12 or is this including the 12? I don't really think most of that matters, actually. I think that what we are supposed to see is that, again, he sends them out two by two. And he actually is very specific with what they are to take or not take. He's specific in what their message is and what they are taking to people. And, and um, I had to go back and just make sure that Mark 6 did say that he sent them out two by two. Because in Matthew and Luke, when he sent out the 12, it doesn't say two by two. And I, I want to make sure I didn't misspeak a second ago. So in Mark 6's account, he sends them out two by two. He sends the 12 out two by two. Here in Luke 10, he sends these 72 out two by two as well. So that's something very, very specific that he does. This is not an individual uh, effort where you are just out on your own. And I think we see that example from Jesus, that this is something that they are to do together. Now, does that mean that they should think like, okay, we have to get as many people as we can involved in this so that we can all go together? I don't think that that's appropriate to take from this either. I think what we see is that the principle is, I don't want you to be alone. Like, this is not meant to just be you out there on an island just doing this. The message and purpose seem to be the same, though. You look at verse 1 in Luke 10. You see how he says that, um, oh, they are to go on ahead of him. But it's a place where he himself was about to go. So they're just preparing the way for Jesus. They're making sure that people are ready for him. You look down to verse 9, and you, still, you see that he says you're going to heal the sick. You're going to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is about teaching the kingdom of God. This is about making sure they are ready. And what he wants them to do is he wants them to repent as well. But he wants them to respond. He says in verse 11 that if people do not respond, if they do not accept this, they are to say, we want you to know without a doubt that the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
This is meant for to be um, a, a, a way for them to maybe reconsider, possibly. This is kind of similar to when you would see the prophets talk to people in Israel, and it, they would be reminding them of things. They'd be saying, this is what you need to do. There's punishment coming. And the whole purpose was for them to repent. I think that's the same thing here. Like They, they leave them with this, with this last message. If, the, if you don't receive us, then you know what? It's going to be worse for you than it was for Sodom. Well, why would they do that? I think it was intended for them to reconsider. I think it was intended for them to, to maybe repent at some point. They're limited with what they take for the same reason as before. Jesus is going to equip them with all they need. They don't need all these other things. He says that there are difficulties here as well, but these difficulties are different from earlier from Luke 9, because instead of it just being difficulties where people don't receive them or listen to them, it says now that there's wolves. And he says he's sending them out as lambs amongst wolves. So what do those wolves look like? Well, he doesn't really say. I think that kind of what we were talking about with the class, that there are some general prayers that we ought to pray, and we don't always know how the Lord will will, uh, accomplish that or answer that prayer. I think there's a general warning here, because what form and in what way these wolves will come, I don't think it's unknown to Jesus, but I think that it will take different forms, so he wants them to be ready in general for wolves. And I think we need to be careful with the same thing. We need to be uh, wary of the same thing. One thing that is different about Luke 10 compared to Luke 9 is that he emphasizes that the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. So there is plenty of work. There is much fruit. There is a harvest that is just waiting to be reaped. But there's not a lot of people that are working in the harvest. Think about who he's talking to. He's talking to the laborers talking to the people he's sending out. He's saying the harvest is plentiful, but there's not a lot of laborers. He's sending out 72 or, or maybe 84, depending on how you want to look at it. He's sending out a lot of people to these towns and to, to talk to people. But Jesus still says that there's more work than there is workers. And he actually says that they should pray for laborers. That's odd to me. And, I, and the reason it's odd is He's talking to the laborers to pray for more laborers. So he doesn't say pray uh, for you to be able to accomplish more work, right? Like if you think of in a job, sometimes the, the boss just puts more and more work on you and you at some point say, I think I need an assistant or you got to hire somebody else. And the expectation is just like, well, you just take on more until that time. When Jesus is saying, pray for more workers, pray for more laborers. Don't just pray that you have the strength or you have the time to just do more. I'm not saying that's a wrong prayer, by the way. I'm just saying that I think the principle is pray for more workers because there is more work to do. Not just more work than you can accomplish, but there just is always more work to do. So pray for more workers. I think that what we understand from this is that team is better than individual. There's more support in the work. There's more glory in the success and there's more help in the difficulties. So not only should we partner together with each other when it comes to spreading the gospel, but we should be praying for more workers, not just to like help us, but just more workers out there. Because in in some way, even if we don't feel like they're part of our team, they're part of our team. Like when he sends them out two by two, does that mean that now there's, well, however many different teams, you know, 
I can't even do the math in my head right now, 36 different teams out there. No, there's like one team, and they're all about the same thing. They have the same purpose. They have the same thing they're taking with them, and they want to see the same thing accomplished. So with us, there are a lot of people out there spreading the gospel. There are a lot of churches that we have no relation to. We just focus on ourselves. And sometimes I think that we feel like we just have to do our thing and we just only focus on our thing. In some ways, that's true. But another way, we should look at people, no matter where they live or anything, if they are doing the thing that, that they are to be doing, if they are taking the same message out that we believe we're taking out, then are we not kind of part of the same team? Are we not thinking about the same thing? Are we not having the same purpose? I'm not going to get into like the things that might divide us um, with other people. What I really want to do is just focus on our group here for the rest of the time, though. So we see actually from the beginning that God has never purposed for us to feel alone or be alone, right? Like when you go back to when God was creating everything and you see that he created man. And and what winds up happening is that it says that God saw that it was not good that man was alone. And then he calls all the animals before Adam, which being this far removed from creation sounds like, well, that was never going to work out, right? That's kind of, a, that's kind of odd, you know? And I think there was, a, there was a reason behind that. I think the reason he did that was not just so that um, Adam could try to find uh, a helper that was suitable, but so that it would be confirmed to Adam that he needed someone else and that he needed someone that was unique from all of other creation, right? That he needed God to provide him somebody else. I think that what we see there is that God knew that it was not good that man was alone and he just wanted man to know that it wasn't good for man to be alone as well. So we see the fulfillment of that is is marriage and we see that that's how that plays out and that's a wonderful thing. So how does that look in the kingdom? How does it look in the church? Well, I think in a similar way, God does not want any of us to be alone in our efforts and in our work, that we are to be united. What does it take for there to be a church? It takes a group. Now, it doesn't specify how big that group is. It doesn't specify how many people you need to have on your membership or how many people need to be in the assembly for it to be considered an assembly. It's just supposed to be an assembly of God's people, however big or small that is. Well, what does it take for us to be about God's work? Well, it, it, I can do that by myself, but I think that we should just see from the example of Jesus instructing the disciples and even going all the way back to creation that God doesn't want us to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone in this. Now, if at times we are alone, that's just understandable. I mean, was Adam never alone? Well, no, I mean, he, he was by himself at times. In fact, even when Eve was uh, tempted by the serpent, it seems like Adam wasn't right next to her, right? I mean, it seems like there was some sort of they were by themselves at times, is all I'm saying. We're going to be by ourselves at times. But we should not feel alone, and we should not put ourselves on an island to be alone in what we do. In fact, I think that we see that Jesus, God, did not desire for the disciples to be alone. And maybe we should wake up to that realization at times, that we should see we don't want to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone in this. The reason I want to talk about this for this group is I think that we have a very unique and uh, a very great strength among us, which is we are very individual people that are fine with being 
independent at times. And we feel very strong individually, and we feel uh, sure of our faith and our beliefs and of our purpose individually. It's a great thing. I, I can't thank you enough for how you inspire me and motivate me with how many of you are that way. However, a tendency can be is you can start getting into this category and this state where you just do whatever you do and you don't include your brother, brothers and sisters. And I don't want to say that that is wrong as in you must tell me everything you do or I must tell you everything I do. But to not include each other and to not see this as some sort of team effort, however big that team is, is really not seeing what God sees and not seeing what Jesus saw. That it's good to go out and to be about his business, his work as a group and not just as individuals. So I know Richard and Kelly do a study on Saturdays and sometimes Kelly can't be there. Maybe sometimes Richard can't be there. I'm not saying that when one of them isn't there, they must get somebody else or else it's a sin. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is it's good that there's two of them doing that. Two of them involved in that effort. Now, I have some things that I do by myself. I have some studies I do by myself, and I know some of you do, do, some of you do as well. Does that mean that that is wrong? I'm not saying that's wrong. What I'm saying is just simply we have to include each other for our own sake and just for the kingdom's sake. We have to include each other. And to think that we should just take it all on our own and that it's just personal evangelism is really just inappropriate because there's no pattern for that that I see when Jesus sends out his disciples. And even when we look in the book of Acts, we don't really see that being the pattern there either. We see people go out together. And, and even when it seems like you know someone might be alone, well, look, someone's writing about that. So at least there was inclu- they were included in that work by the telling of what happened, right? Like even if we think Paul was kind of alone at certain times or something like that, which really I don't even know if he ever was. I mean, it seems like he always had somebody there, whether it's Barnabas or Silas or Timothy or Titus or, or Luke or whoever. There's somebody there. But even let's just say that at times he was doing it by himself. He's reporting back to Christians in Antioch. He's reporting back to the brethren in Jerusalem. He's telling people about this. And I just think that's all part of the team effort and, and the team mentality that we're supposed to have. We shouldn't think that this is just my work, and so therefore don't ask me about what I'm doing. In fact, I think that holding each other accountable to not just spreading the gospel by having Bible studies, but just really trying to win people to Christ, and we'll talk about how we can do that in a second. I think focusing on how we can do that and how we are to involve each other is just appropriate, and I think it's fitting. It makes sense based on the pattern we have from Jesus himself. All right, so now what I want to do is I, I want to go over to 1 Corinthians 9. But while you're going there, I just want to remind us of one thing. And that is that we truly are winning people to Christ. So like in, at the end of Matthew, when Jesus is sending out the disciples, or at least giving them parting instructions, he says that they are to make disciples. He says that they are to be teaching baptism, but also teaching all that Jesus has commanded. That's the precedent that Jesus sets for his disciples before he is taken away from them, right? The same thing for us today. We, we, are teach, we are wanting to 
teach people and help people see their need for forgiveness of sins, their need to follow Jesus and understand all that Jesus commanded. And in doing that, we are making disciples. We are trying to make disciples. We are, only, we are just hoping to save some. Let's read from 1 Corinthians 9, and I'm going to skip down to verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. He wants to win more people to Christ. If you look at 19 through 22, it's something like four it's something like four or five times that he just says, win people. I, I want to win them. Win is different groups of people, but the whole focus is like winning them over. And it's just kind of odd language if you think about it. I, I'm, I don't know. It's like it's a prize, right? I mean, that's, that's how we talk about winning, which kind of is true, right? But, but it's not a prize for myself. It's like I'm trying to win them away from where they are to someone else or to something else. So they're, they're under the law, under the, the um, not the law of Christ, he specifies there, but he, they're under a certain law that is kind of restricting them and is, is really, they're bound by this law. Let's just say it's the Mosaic law, because I think that's probably what it is. He's saying, I want to win them from that over to this other thing. I want to win those that are outside of that, which would be the Gentiles and other people, over to something else. I want to win all people over to Christ. Then you see in verse 22 that his... His goal is just to save some. I mean, I don't think that means he doesn't want to save everybody. I think he's just saying his mentality is, I'm doing all of this. I'm putting all this effort into it just to try to save some. And he wants to share in the blessings of the gospel with more people. Is that our motivation? Is that, is that why you do what you do? Is that why you try to talk to people about the gospel? Is that why you... Um, want to serve people? Is that why you want to shine the light of Christ to others? If not, then I think we need to call and question our purpose and our focus. Because this is a great example from Paul about his purpose. Our purpose is just to help people come to Christ. And that's really all it is. But how is he going to do that? I think this is something that um, I haven't always appreciated is if you look back to what he says in verse 19, he says that he has made himself a servant to all. And then he goes into all these things about how he's going to try to win people and, and save some and all of that. Usually when I think of winning people to Christ and, and saving souls or you know sharing in the blessings of the gospel, I don't really think of serving, honestly. I think of just sitting down and having a Bible study. That, that's all I have traditionally thought of. So what does it look like to be involved in sharing the gospel with people? What does it look like to win people to Christ? Well, Paul says it looks like service. It looks like serving others. Now, just to clarify, 
That doesn't mean we serve others by joining in with our sin. I, I mean, there are a lot of times people ask questions about this section. They're like, okay, so does that mean that I have a friend that goes to the bar and I'm only going there because I just want to be connected with him or her and I just want to, um, to try to share the gospel with them. I don't, I mean, I think we can kind of just look at this section and be like, well, that sounds kind of silly, you know? Like, I mean, he doesn't get into sins and say you participate in sins and in that way you're serving all just to try to win the sinner. What are you trying to win the sinner over from? If you're participating in the sin with them, how are you winning a sinner away from sin? <laughs> you're not. You're just kind of saying, hey, we'll stay here together and let's just believe in Jesus and then we'll keep on sinning. And that's not what we want. We want people to, people to share in the blessings of the gospel. Not share, we don't want to share in their blessings of sin, which really are curses. We want to meet people where they are in their understanding, in their belief, and sometimes even in their life, but not share in those things necessarily. We want to show people something different, we want to bring people away from where they are. Not to where we are, but to where Christ is. And we, we should hope that that's where we are as well. We need to be devoted to Christ and show people that through our lives and we serve people and we seek to go wherever they are, but we're not going to be involved in the sin that they're involved in. And I guess just another way of thinking about this would be um, you need to know the purpose for whatever activity they're involved in. Here's what I mean by that. I can't justify going somewhere or being part of something by thinking I'm just trying to spread the gospel and to shine my light in the midst of this darkness, even though everybody around is only focused on the darkness and all that's all they care about. I'll give you an example that um, uh, it was a really good example for me that I don't know, necessarily know if I agree with my friend's uh, application of this, but he decided when we were in college that he was, he was not going to go to any, um, any like sporting events at all. Like that was just because of all the terrible things going on there. And it was like, he did not want to be around that, right? And I remember thinking, well, I mean, but how can you ever, you know, plan to shine a light if you're not around? And so I guess it was mainly, I just wanted to keep going to the football game, right? I mean, that, that's really what it was about. Now, I'm not saying that if I could go back in time, I would change my mind on that. I just have a greater appreciation for where he was coming from. Now for him, that was more of like a, I want to abstain from the sin myself. And this is affecting me. So that was good for him to, to get away from that. But I was coming at it from an inappropriate standpoint where it was like, oh, but you should involve yourself in this thing because the purpose of this is just football. It's just basketball. Just because everybody else is thinking it's about drinking and getting drunk and cursing and being filled with hatred for the other team doesn't mean that's what it's really about. Look, if everybody else there is thinking that, then understand that like, just because you're going to try to say, no, that's not what I'm here for, though. doesn't mean everybody else doesn't think you are. So just be very careful with that. Now, I can't always worry about what everybody else is there for, right? I can't always be focused on, well, so-and-so might think this, so I can't do that anymore. But let's just be honest with the purpose and the goal with wherever we are. And if we can't join ourselves with that purpose and goal, then we can't join ourselves with those people in that activity. And in that, what we are doing is we're kind of like separating ourselves, which is exactly what Jesus 
was telling the apostles they were going to have to do. They were going to be sanctified. And, in sanctif- and being part of this sanctified group was going to highlight the darkness of the world by illuminating them from the light of, with the light of Christ. And that's what we should seek to do as well. All right, well, with the, with the last few minutes, I just want to get into a few things about service because I think this is something that we can all focus on doing. Because when we talk about sharing the gospel with people, we think of probably just one, one or two things. We think of public preaching like this or other places. And we, we just think of sitting down the, across the uh, dinner table or coffee table or whatever with the Bible open. And I think that those are both true. But I think we should see other er- areas of involvement in evangelism and in sharing the gospel with people that are not just that person that is the one talking or the person that is, is, sharing the, is sitting down with the Bible in front of them. I think we should view the little things that we do every day as part of this effort. Like, for instance... Um, Maybe some people think that their service is whenever they see someone with a flat tire, they're going to stop and help them change the tire. Um, I got a flat tire a couple weeks ago. It was the worst timing almost ever. And there was William, thankfully. But uh, I don't know if he would have stopped if he would have seen me passing by (laughs) if he didn't know me, you know. And that's fair. That's fair at times. We have to be careful. We have to be wise about the situation. It was also raining a little bit, so it really was an awful timing. But I think in some ways it's kind of the little things. And I've just viewed that as trying to be polite. Like I want to hold the door for someone because that's how I was taught to be. I want to do this for people, the small things, because that's how I was taught to be. But, you know, I was taught to be that not because I grew up in the South, but because I was shown that example by faithful Christians in my life. So understand that the little things that we do to help people and serve people no matter what it might be, getting their plate before you get your own, letting them get in front of you, t- making sure you help take out the trash, you know, see what someone needs when they're sick or whatever. That's not just being polite and Southern. That's, we should take that approach to being like purpose by shining the light of Christ. Like I care about you in your everyday life and we should communicate that to people. But it's also the big things that maybe we don't think are major impositions to us, but they mean a lot to somebody else. Like for instance, picking someone up for worship service, being regular, being able to be counted on in difficult times. Um, maybe it's even like taking care of someone's uh, kids or something like that. And that's not for everybody, but if you can do that, then that, that's a big thing for them. And it might, you might see it as a little bit of an imposition, but that's a great thing for you to do and, and serve your brother and sister or serve someone in your neighborhood in that way. I know for me that when I was young, I had a lot of mentors, a lot of people that uh, just took an interest in me and wanted to help me by taking me to worship services, by letting me uh, ride with them over to a, a, a Devo at someone's house or whatever, whatever it might be. Like we don't have any young people here, but we just need to see what are the areas that we can help each other, but also who's outside of these walls that we can help and serve them, whether in small or big ways. We need to take the time to talk with people and share, and share the things that are true even when it's different from what they believe. That's difficult. And that doesn't always take sitting down for a specific Bible study. That can be just in everyday conversation with people. Like I'm not usually the one that 
when someone says something I don't, don't agree with to say, well, I don't know about that. Usually I'm like, okay, all right. Because uh, I want, like, if, if I'm at the gas station and that happens, let's just say, well, I'm just there to get gas. I'm going to be on my way, you know. Um, instead, <laughs> sacrifice and that, some of that time. And in that way, you were kind of serving them. Um, and I, I just think that it's also important to, to point out that when we do those things, it's not just for their benefit. Like, it's not only for their good that we are doing that. There's something that's kind of at work within us. The more we serve, the more we sacrifice of our time, of our energy and everything, it's kind of like preparing us for even more service. You know, if I was joking with uh, Josh yesterday when we were um, working at the, at the other building that um, us athletes, I, I was talking, I was just messing with him because he's much more an athlete than I am, of course. But it, it is kind of true that an athlete, like they stretch themselves. Like if, if you were to talk to someone who's been a pro athlete for 10 years, where they were when they first started their journey and where they first started whatever sport it was, their ability then compared to now is so much different. Not just because like they're better at it, but they stretch themselves to the point where they could do more. They could go harder. They could jump higher. They could throw faster, whatever it is. But it takes stretching yourself. So if we were to view ourselves as being servants and being part of this effort of winning people to Christ, we have to stretch ourselves. And that's really hard. I mean, when you think of stretching, there's a strain, right? The more we do that, the better it will be for us. And the more we do that, the more God can use us to serve other people. So what should we do? Well, we don't seek to convert people to our group that meets on Sundays, but we seek to convert people to the body of Christ. We want people to repent of their sins and be baptized, but we want people to just know what it means to follow Jesus. Like that, that's our goal, right? We want to save some and share in the blessings of the gospel with them. We want more followers of Jesus. And we're going to do this by not going out alone, but, but going out with each other and being involved in the work together. We need to get ready for the journey that we're on, and Jesus equips us for that journey. We don't have to add a bunch of stuff to our own arsenal or, or add things with us. Jesus equips that with the gospel and with this uh, Christ-like character that we live. We need to pray for more laborers. We need to serve everyone with the hope of discipleship and not just politeness or generosity. We need to be committed to the purpose that Jesus established. Now, I... So this is something that I talked a little bit when I was over in Africa, and it was because so much of the focus seemed to be on whoever the preacher was, right? Or maybe they had a couple guys at whatever church, and it was just all about what should they be doing. And, and then I thought, you know, that that's how we think sometimes. Like, Not that you expect so much of me as much as just like we just think about like we take ownership of this work, and we just say this is my work. But I don't see that's how I don't, I don't see Jesus talking like that. I don't see Paul talking like that. So I think our, I think just overall we could grow in in how we view this whole thing we're part of by viewing this as a team effort, by involving each other in what we do, by including ourselves and in finding out how we fit into the work first by serving, not just by saying I'm going to be a teacher of some of somebody. 
we, we serve. That's how we're going to be involved in winning people to Christ. Well, let's make sure we're praying for more laborers, not just praying for more people to be receptive, which is also a good prayer. Let's pray for more laborers because I believe it's still true today that the harvest is plentiful. And as many people that seem like they're out there working, I'm assuming that it's still true that the laborers are few compared to the work that's out there. I hope this will be helpful to us. I, I know this, some of these things are just reminders. Um, but if nothing else, maybe we can adjust and recalibrate in some ways for how we can be out living in this world just trying to win people to Christ. If there is anybody that needs prayers of the group, um, I, I hope that you feel comfortable enough and open enough to talk to us or to talk to somebody here because we care for you. And let's make sure we're sharing with each other and helping to encourage each other throughout the week. We're going to have a song that Tim's going to lead. And let's just think about our lives and our standing before Christ as we stand and sing this song.